If you look at scripture, I'd like to ask you to read this particular passage in earnest. And by now you know that scripture is not arranged haphazardly. It's not just a, a haphazard collection of God's holy writ. But instead, it is arranged in such a way that it flows in order to teach us a story. It's not history, as we would call history today. But this particular passage that we have before us today is really cool because it appears right after the confession that Peter makes in behalf of the disciples at Caesarea Philippi and the Transfiguration. So there has to be something going on here. And it's about the nature of declaring Jesus as the Son of the God Most High, the Son of the Living God, as Peter said. And Jesus taking the folks up on the Mount of Transfiguration to see the reality of who Jesus is. And so there is a beginning, and then there is really an ongoing process of discipleship. So over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to talk to you about practical discipleship. Very simple ways that we can grow closer to God, very close to Jesus in our walk with Him. Uh, notice, there, there's something really cool about this passage. There's many, many cool things about this passage. But Jesus teaches us that being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a practice of self-actualization or self-improvement or self-preservation. Many people will believe that you can become a Christian and say, well, it's just fire insurance. Well, no. Nor is it a, an activity of trying to build self up, of self-preservation, self-actualization, or self-improvement. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not that at all, is it? What does Jesus say about it? Jesus says that you must deny yourself. So it's an act of self-denial. It is basically allowing yourself to be poured out while Jesus is being poured into you, into me. That's the object of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Christ changes the way that we look at the world. In an aspect in worship service, when, I, when we read God's Word, when I expound upon it, when I preach about it, then there's a question mark for you. How then shall you be different? And then, based upon that difference that Christ has made in your life as a follower, how does your worldview change? How do you look at the world now, not through your own eyes, but through the lens of Christ? How do you adopt the mind of Christ in your life? How does that change your interactions with the way you see reality and see others around you, your workplace, your play, whatever it might be, the way that you parent, the way that you even look at yourself in the mirror. I pray that when, as we progress as disciples of Jesus Christ, when we do look at ourselves in the mirror, the image of Christ would there and our own image would be blurred. What a beautiful picture that would be. What a beautiful thing that would be. So being a disciple of Jesus Christ then, in a practical manner, it is not a pursuit of self. It's not a building up of self, that it is the pursuit of God. It is the very presence of God and His indwelling in our life that transforms us. It is not anything about self-aggrandizement then. It is not building up ourselves. For if that is the case, 
then Christ is not Lord and Savior. I've talked to you often about the fact that, you know, so often uh, we have to leave ourselves behind, that there is an unholy trinity and there is a holy trinity. The unholy one is me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. The other is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is our life's calling and our belief in Jesus Christ and being a disciple to migrate from ourselves to be more like Jesus. And I mentioned last week a little bit, Paul as well as John Wesley said that we are moving on toward perfection. We want to be holy as God is holy. And we do that by denying ourselves. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, that's gonna pop up on your screen here. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So it is the movement away from ourselves into something grander, something broader. It is the full intention then that Christ wants to dwell within us so that we forget about us. And now the very center of our life is always Jesus Christ. The very center of our lives is Jesus Christ our Lord. There can be no other. It's not about self-improvement. It's not something you pick up a book and say, if you do these things, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It is about, it states that telling us that Jesus is requiring us to deny ourselves so that we might be the human that God has always wanted us to be. That by denying ourselves, then we are open that we, as disciples of Jesus Christ now, will live that abundant life that Jesus has promised us. Now mind you, this is not prosperity theology. This is the life that Christ has always wanted us to be in Him. That Christ must be the center of all things that we do. I was at a, a I guess I can tell the story. Uh, in a jewelry store uh, recently. And I was looking at diamonds. Uh, uh, this has a happy ending. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm sitting there and I, I'm an idiot. You know, I know about, you know, what a diamond's made of and all that kind of stuff. And I tell stories about it during weddings and all that kind of stuff. The jeweler sat me down, you know, and I'm sorry it took so long, dear. Um, but, you know, it was a matter of, it's, it's, what is it, color, clarity, cut, and... Carrot. Carrot. Thank you. I, I appreciate that very much. So you see, I didn't learn that much from the jeweler. You know, and, and I'm sitting there going, man, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that one looks nice, you know? And so, you know, just for an example, she took a, a diamond out of the case and she put it on a black backdrop and gave me one of those monocles or whatever it is. Oh, and she showed me two things. She gave me the monocle and then she put it under a microscope. And you know, it was such a beautiful diamond. It was absolutely incredible. You know, the way it glit, I mean, the light is perfect in jewelry stores in order to enhance that diamond and it sparkles and everything. Um, and, and I went, you know, that's absolutely amazing. You know, but it only occurred to me, you know, that, that, that diamond was really off, was really enhanced by that black 
backdrop. You know, in our discipleship, and I'll tell you the rest of the story in a second. <laughs> but, you know, it was that Christ is that gem. That we're that black backdrop. You know, clergy robes are black so that it would wash away anything that the preacher wears or just that we're to be a mouthpiece, not a, not a fashion statement. That that black backdrop really brought out the beauty, the clarity of that gem and how it sparkled. We're that black backdrop. And being a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is incumbent upon us to just to demonstrate to the world, let me show you, the most beautiful, the most unblemished, perfect thing in my life, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, I also said, I want to see you across from the jeweler. There is a fifth. What was the four? Color, clarity, cut, and carrot. And I reminded her that, that there's a fifth one. And she said, what's that? And I said, coin. <laughs> coin. <laughs> it was expensive. But there is a cost of discipleship, don't you think? There is a cost of discipleship that if for us to be that black backdrop, we have to give up ourselves. That there is a cost of self-denial and all that means so that that beautiful gem of Christ might shine for the world to see. One of the things that has afflicted us in the modern church, there's two things. One is apostasy, that is, when folks leave the church, they no longer seek to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we all need to lament that. The other is spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy is when, for example, you enjoy church, but you grow bored with Jesus. That he no longer has that luster like he used to. That the black backdrop that we present is growing clearer and clearer so that no one and you don't care about Jesus. And you see, that's a scheme of Satan, really. That he wants us to turn away. He wants us to, to make a, a U-turn to go back to the way we used to be instead of moving forward because then Satan wins. But the other scheme is is for us to grow bored with Jesus, that we've heard everything that we think we know about Jesus temporally and in church, and we just grow bored. And in that way, the scheme of Satan works. And also there's this cultural identity, sometimes of being a disciple, where we have our understanding of cultural Christianity uh, is really, um, uh, in opposition to biblical Christianity. Well, what do I mean? Well, as a, in cultural Christianity, we assert God is good to us. But biblical Christianity says God is good for us. We need Jesus. We need God. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need the presence of the church in our lives. Cultural Christianity says, seek God's goods. Biblical Christianity says, seek God's goodness. Cultural Christianity says, seek God for what he can provide us. 
Instead, the biblical understanding of Christianity and discipleship is to seek God's provision. Cultural Christianity says, seek God to get the things you want. Biblical, biblical Christianity says, seek God to receive the highest thing, the highest thing, the highest thing, which is himself. Take the church of Colossae, for example. Paul initially praises the church of Colossae. Thanks them for being an assembly of believers. But then brass tacks hits. They had now moved away from being Jesus-centered in their lives as a church. And this is how Paul calls it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 and 8. This is the way, this is the way the church should be. This is the way the church should be. You can read it with me. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things that were visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Do you get that? The church of Colossae had grown bored with Jesus. They had become more concerned about the spiritual aspects, and that's the spirit world. They had become more uh, involved with politics. They had become more involved with the things of the world and uh, the church was a great place to go, but not so much this Jesus fellow to follow. In all ways, shapes, and forms, that we can't be a church that is apathetic. You cannot be an apathetic disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the church at Colossae, and even us today, that the very center of the church, the center of all things in life, is Jesus Christ. Discipleship in Jesus doesn't mean that it's just a collection of ideas, plans, or ministries and dreams. Christ offers himself for you, for me. Practical discipleship begins with knowing who Jesus is. When was the last time you read a gospel all the way through? Uh, not to analyze it, not to study it, not to figure out what the preacher's going to say on Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible study or whatever that might be. When was the last time you just picked up the gospel of Mark and read it all the way through just to listen for the voice of God because he's going to tell you who Jesus is. He's going to tell you who Jesus is. So pick up a, as a matter of practical discipleship, read about Jesus. Pick up a gospel and read it all the way through. <coughs> and a practical discipleship is about knowing who you are, who I am, and what is it about Jesus? What is it about you that Jesus came to save? What aspect of your life did Jesus come to save? To liberate, to free? Here's Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. 
He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Take that in for a second. As a matter of practical discipleship, how do you respond to those scripture passages? Knowing that you were dead in sin, but instead, Christ has substituted his life for yours. Practical discipleship is all about surrender. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior, or is he just Lord? Is he just Savior? He needs to be both. He needs to have absolute control of your life. Surrender. Don't hold anything back. And you need to realize that he is your Savior. Did you hear the words of Paul and Colossae in the Colossians? He is to be your Lord and Savior. And here is Romans 12. I've read this passage to you many times before. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's your surrender. It's an imperative. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Hear that? Practical discipleship is about and the beginning of that practical discipleship is surrender. When you believe in Jesus Christ, it means to change you and replace it with Jesus. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that? I pray that you are.